Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. I have uh, Nadine Farah, a developer and an evangelist for the token called Storage, or some people call it StoreJ. Uh, the website is storj.io. Nadine, how are you? Good. How are you? Good. Excellent. Well, tell me about uh, a little bit about your background and how you started working with uh, Storage. Yeah, so that's a, that's a really good question. Um, my background is actually in um, IoT. So I first started building um, IoT projects when I was at Hackbright Academy, and I ended up building a device called Rescue. And essentially what that device is, is uh, in an event of emergency, you would press the button on a device. Um, I have an iOS app that's integrated with the device. So the device sends uh, data to the iOS app through Bluetooth, and the iOS app takes like the user location, information about the user and such, and then sends it to um, the server that I built. And in the event of emergency, when you press the button, the user's contact will get notified of where the user is at through an SMS. And I use the Twilio API for that. And then um, also an actual map of where the user is at through the Mapbox API. And since then, I've kind of been hooked on um, IoT. So following um, that, I end up, did it, I end up doing um, uh, data infrastructure engineering at Udemy as an intern. And then shortly realized that shortly after that, I realized I really liked IoT. So I actually started working at Punch Through Design. Um, and they've actually built a device called the Beam, which is a Bluetooth low energy device. And there I was like an engineer building iOS apps and actually helping growing the community and, you know, building interconnected products, you know, with the Bean and other types of open source hardware. And then from there... Good question before you move on. That that um, <clears throat> location finder... My memory tells me that it was on uh, Shark Tank or something. Was anything like that ever on Shark Tank? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I actually don't watch Shark Tank, but um, it could be. Um, I think just recently uh, Apple released the watch that's able to do those capabilities. I think it was like this past year or something like that. But yeah, I mean, it's a it's a popular device. I built it more to learn from it um, than to put it on the market. Mm. Oh, yeah, no. And then I was at Covacent, um building, again, interconnected projects using the Raspberry Pi. And from there, I was like doing a little bit of products and, and a little bit of marketing as well, like product management mar- marketing. And now I'm at Storage as a dev evangelist doing blockchain. So how I got into blockchain was kind of by way of IoT. Um, and I guess my goal in, in with Storage is to 
build more integrative projects with blockchain and hopefully integrate IoT projects uh, using storage as a data layer. Yeah, so we're, we have a, we have a C library and we're working on getting more um, bindings, so like iOS or Swift bindings, Objective C, um, Java, and such. And so, in, you know, in hopefully the goal is in six months we can have bindings for iOS where I can build interconnected projects using hardware, software, and hopefully storage as a data layer to store the data as opposed to like a database. Yeah, so tell listeners about storage. Um, you know, what does it do and how does it work? Uh, so storage is actually a distributed uh, a cloud uh, infrastructure. And essentially what happens is that all your data is essentially encrypted and sharded. All sharded means is that it's shredded into like a million pieces and it's stored, uh, the data is stored throughout the globe. So we have what we call farmers on the network that are renting their drive to store the data. And so when a user uploads their data through a client called FileZilla, you know, that process happens and it goes through, you know, people's hardware. So we're, the way people become farmers on a network is through a software called Stored Share. And that's how, you know, they become farmers. So if we compare this to how people store their data right now, they store it on centralized servers like Amazon or AWS. They'll store it on, uh, you know, iCloud, uh, places like that, right? I mean, tell me how data is stored right now and tell me why your guys' method should be superior than current data storage. Yeah, that's actually a great network or a great question. So there, there are different – so I'm going to back up a little bit. So there's a there's basically three main networks. There's a centralized network, there's a distributed network, and there's a decentralized network. And each network has its own kind of structure. Now, the centralized network that you're talking about is like where all the information stores like a hub. So if that hub is kind of hacked in or something, then you can get all that data, right? Because it's not, it's not broken. It's all stored in a central place. Now, distributed and decentralized types of storage is where information can be stored on different nodes. And it'll be harder to access because of, of the very nature of the network architecture. And so what makes storage um, a little, what makes storage safer and superior than, you know, other types of storage services that you see like with S3 and such is because of that distributed network. First, the data is encrypted and then it's shredded or sharded and then it's stored all around the globe. So as our network grows, so basically as our farmer network grows, it's harder for essentially hackers to get, you know, the information of, you know, the data because they'll have to you know, grab all the pieces of data, store it all across the globe, decrypt it, and then finally, you know, be able to put the pieces. They also have to have a key to be able to get that data. And that's not possible because we don't even have the key, you know, once the data is, is sent out. So, I mean, that's what makes it superior and what's what makes it safer. And this is why a lot of companies are starting to rethink their their data infrastructure or their data architecture in that way. Well, what about... Um... Redundancy is just one. If I have a file and you, you know, you chop it up into a hundred pieces, encrypt each piece, <clears throat> and put each piece on a different computer. Um, do you also do it redundantly? Do you make like five copies of my data, then chop it up, then encrypt it and distribute it, or is that two ways? Yeah, that, yeah, no, no, that's a great, that's a great question. And we actually do mirror data. So what happens? Um, what happens is once the once you once you upload your file and it gets uh, encrypted. Um, and shredded uh, or sharded, the data is actually mirrored. So what we do is we make multiple copies of that data and we store it. And so you have the main copy of the file that you uploaded, also the mirror data that we that we made. And then all those data are stored all across the globe. It's never stored in just one person's, um, 
you know, hard drive. And the advantage of that is let's say you have a node that's offline and you're trying to download data, but, you know, someone on their hard drive, somewhere on their computer, they decided to you know, shut down their computer and you can't get the data. Well, there's backups with that mirror data. But let's say all those backups fail. Then we have we have an algorithm that's the Reed Solomon algorithm that's able to re essentially reconstruct a file from its parts. So if you have the majority of your file, you can use the algorithm to reconstruct that to reconstruct the missing parts of the file. Um, and that's a very costly process. It's also like you know a backup backup you know in terms of file retrieval. So it's it's like you know the last thing that we'll do to to kind of retrieve your files. Do you encrypt before you shred, or do you shred before you encrypt, and does it matter? Yeah, so we encrypt first the whole file, and then we, you know, and then we kind of what we call shard. We shard the file. Uh, the software is working with the client. Um, it's much easier. It's much easier to like encrypt a whole file instead of very parts of the file, because then you kind of have to keep track of all those things. So doing it, encrypting, and then sharding it is is a lot easier in terms of you know the process. It makes sense too, right? You don't want to shred, you don't want to encrypt all the little pieces if you can do it the other way around and get it done one time as opposed to multiple times. And what kind of encryption do you guys use? And do you need like a really high level? Um, is there a trade-off between the the amount of sharding and the amount of encryption needed, you know, to make sure something's secure? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and I, I I don't have a complete answer on that on that end because I'm not involved uh, in terms of the engineering aspect of encrypting a file. Um, I can definitely come back to you with a with a with an answer for that. Okay. So what's what's been happening? How long has storage been around? What what's been your roadmap so far, and what's it going to be moving forward? Yeah. So that's a that's a that's a great question. So um, storage has been around since 2014 and has been growing since. And since then, there's been um, a lot of initiative to grow. You know, our use case. Um, and with that, we kind of have like a product pipeline that kind of describes how we will build. And so um, our ultimate goal is to be your storage provider. You know, we have the product plan, the community plan, the technology plan in process to kind of help realize this goal. And in terms of product, we've kind of addressed milestones of how we should build. So there are kind of five major milestones. The first one is like stability, archival, public web, global, and CDN. Um, and the stability milestone is just making sure, you know, the the platform is stable. Because without that, everything else that kind of comes after the stability milestone um, will crumble. Um, the, archival, uh, the archival milestone is just essentially saying that, you know, people can store data for a, for a, of a, for a, a large amount of time. And where we're at in that is we're currently building the building box for archival. Once we accomplish that, which is hopefully pretty soon, then we're going to, you know, move to our another to the next milestone, which is our public web milestone. And all that means is we'll serve public files like digital assets, you know, on the public web, which requires higher performance, scalability, and reliability. Now, in terms of the global milestone, what that is, it's able to basically geographically control where your data is being stored at. So if you wanted to store it in like California or Europe or Paris, you'll have um, that flexibility with the global milestone. Um, and after once the global milestone is set, then it makes the CDN milestone, you know, more achievable, right? Because its ability to be highly performant and extremely fast on delivery of, you know, digital assets to the user. 
So that's kind of how we're looking and how we built, we were going to build on, you know, during the 2018 year. And it's an aggressive roadmap, but we're, we're really um, keen on, you know, following this product roadmap. So the technology that kind of uh, will come about is to address the product roadmap. Now, in terms of community, we want to foster like our open source community, our farmers, which are people who are renting their hard drives to store data, our developers who want to integrate the stored data layer in their applications. We have our end users who just want to store files, and we also have our partners. And currently, as it stands, we have uh, 12,000 community members going on our Rocket Chat, which is essentially a chat where people can you know, ask questions, get feedback, and so on. And we have community leaders that lead you know, the Rocket Chat that are, are very responsive. And we have multiple languages on Rocket Chat as well. And a lot of our community leaders speak multiple languages. Um, and then we also have 11 confirmed partners that are working with us. And we're, hopefully we want to grow more of those partnerships. So the community role is to essentially help drive the event, you know, the documentation, making sure it's easy to onboard developers, farmers, partners, and, you know, everyone that wants to use storage. And also, you know, to increase awareness with newsletters, blogs, and other things to, you know, help nurture and grow our community members. So there's there's a currently big push on like documentation and events and such uh, during you know 2018. That's from like the community um, aspects. What what kinds of data um, would work for this? You know, sharding and encrypting and all that. Which ones are problematic? I mean, like anything you want to stream, I would think that you probably can't do this with. Um, can you do it with large files? I mean, is there certain kinds of data that it'll work well with and certain kinds that just won't? Yeah, that's a great question. So, like, basically, like, static files will work in terms of, like, streaming videos and such. That comes with, like, you know, a CDN type of quality, right, and and being highly performant and, and such. And so that will come later on this year. We're not built for that right now, but that is definitely how we are going to build towards. But right now, definitely like static files and, you know, some pictures you are able to store on the storage network. Okay. Or any, yeah, yeah. And what about, um, you know, in this space, I know there's SiaCoin or SiaCoin, there's FileCoin, uh, you know, there's a few, oh, I'm not even sure where else, but there's a few like uh, other people in this particular niche. How do you guys see yourself versus them? Um, are you partnering with them? Are you just different from them? You know, what can you say about these other initiatives? Yeah, so, you know, they're all really great companies, and I know Filecoin is still um, coming about. They just, you know, finished, I believe, their ICO and such. Um, but I believe all of us are, are there to essentially, um, you know, compete with the bigger competitors like Amazon or a Google. Um, and especially with things that happen with Google Docs, you know, all of us are trying to make storage more reliable. And I think that's the key. You know, there's enough... Um, there's enough, you know, people always are going to need data storage and there's enough to go around for all of us. So I think all of us are kind of banding to help change the way people store their data and make it more reliable and less, you know, breakable in terms of like hackers getting into the network and making it more secure in that sense. Well, the one thing I don't like, I don't know if people are aware, but, you know, in the terms of service on um, a lot of these centralized data storage places, you know, uh, iCloud, Google may be the worst. You know, they have the right to make derivative works of whatever you put up there. They have the right to use images and all kinds of stuff for whatever they want. I mean, it's like you, it's like a deal with the devil, it seems. You know, you upload your data to these places. They can monetize it, sell it to advertisers. I mean, they can do whatever they want with it. And I don't know if your solution uh, specifically does not allow that or these other solutions uh, address that problem. Because even if people don't know about it, I, I, I consider it like a betrayal of trust and a, a big problem. 
Yeah, that's a really good question. And um, that's a really easy answer for us. So for us, like we don't know what you're putting on. So you're, you're, the content that you upload or essentially receiving is largely like unknown to us. Um, we don't have the key to get your data. We don't, we don't censor any data. And obviously, since we can't have access to your data, because we, we can't get it, the pure technology that's built behind storage, all of that, you don't, like a user doesn't have to worry about. So we, we are not that. We, we can't do that. And our technology for, kind of forbids it in essence. So yeah, I mean, with storage, you, it's literally uploading, downloading data. We don't have access to your information. We won't use your information. And your information is not censored. Yeah, and if stuff was hacked, it's not just sitting there lying unencrypted and you know open to and vulnerable as well. So I think that's a great uh, a great difference. Yeah, so our, um, you know our, our 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 motto is to be like the best storage that there is, with in giving you know our users um, complete confidence and that their that their data will be protected in essence that they have access because they have because of all the the processes we have in place with encryption and sharding. And you know an algorithm to you know basically do as a backup to for them to retrieve their files, but also you know in the sense that they are owners of their own data, right? We, we there's nothing for us to sell. We can't get it. So gotcha. Okay. So what? Uh, where is the storage network at? Is it being used? You know, how many people? Um, how far along is it? Yeah. So right now we're working. So in terms of so earlier um, I talked about our product pipeline, and we're currently working towards our archival. Um, kind of milestone, but in terms of you know, in terms of people using it, we have—I don't have the exact numbers on the top of uh, top of my head—but we have like 50 over 50,000 API users. We have um, over 12 uh, petabytes of storage, so it's definitely growing. And you know, obviously, storage ability is, is based on our you know farmers being on the network. So I mean, it's definitely growing, and we're and we have a big initiative this year to you know, onboard developers to use storage and to make our documentation, you know, very much um, project-oriented and, and such. So it's going to continue to grow in, in 2018 for sure. All right, very good. And um, any milestones coming? Any major announcements that uh, are going to be in the works soon? Oh, uh, I, so we just hosted our town hall, I believe it's few weeks ago or so. So um, a lot of the announcements uh, we've made was actually in our town hall, which is um, if you go to YouTube and Google storage and you look for town hall, you should see our first town hall. Uh, but essentially the stuff that we're talking about, like the product pipeline, how we plan to grow, is kind of the announcement that we've uh, made in the town hall. Mm, okay. Very good. So how can listeners uh, find out more about storage and you know, if they want to pick up the token, uh, where can they find it? Uh, yeah, so so there's a couple of ways of how you can be a token holder. Uh, one is being a farmer. So when you become a farmer and you go through storage share and you give essentially how much you know uh, memory you want to allocate for storage as well as your bandwidth, every month there'll be a payout and you'll get storage tokens for you know the amount that we use to store data. That's one way. Another way that's coming in the future is our bounty program. So I'm currently, you know, building our bounty program. And our bounty program is essentially geared towards technical users and non-technical users. So basically everyone in our community. And we'll be having technical projects where, you know, bounties can be earned for storage tokens and essentially like kind of promotional bounties. Um, you know, people help us, you know, attend events or, you know, talk about us or, you know, tweet at us or something. They'll be able to earn storage tokens in that way. Um, right now, I'm working on getting storage tokens, you know, to holders who 
or to people who um, previously sent questions um, before the town hall so that we can answer it during the town hall. So, I mean, there's tons of ways to essentially earn storage tokens. And um, I would say just, you know, um, follow us on Twitter and keep an eye on our newsletter and our blogs and um, people will be able to earn their storage tokens. Oh, and um, I didn't go into it enough. Uh, can you stake storage? Uh, you know, can you mine it? Um, you know, is it proof of stake, proof of work? I mean, how does the token itself work? Yeah, so the storage token can't be mined. It's not like um, it's not like the other coins that that currently can be, like I believe Bitcoin and such. Um, so th- that's that's really so that's really it. So the storage essentially was uh, was originally on like the Bitcoin. Um, Bitcoin kind of protocol layer, and we migrated to the Ethereum. So now we have our storage token is an ERC20 compatible token. Um, so yeah. Yeah, I lost you for a quick sec. Yeah, so as a farmer, um, what, how does it work? Are you allowing people to store data just on your computer, or are you contributing to the network in another way somehow? Uh, yeah. So basically, how you're contributing the network or the network, you know, how much network can hold is, is how much you're allocating on your hard drive to to allocate in terms of me- memory bandwidth. So when you sign up for storage storage share and you go through the process, you can say how much you want to store on your computer and what bandwidth you want, and that's how you're contributing to the network. But yeah, and then for a typical farmer, I mean, how much storage token would they, uh, you know, would they get each month or each day or each week? I know it depends, but what's the ballpark? Yeah, um, so typically the payouts are monthly. We're working on getting more frequent payments through micropayments. Um, and I guess that depends. I, I don't have an average number on the top of my head, but it really depends on, like, the farmer's availability to retrieve the data, how much it, – it, it, there's a lot of variance. And we're still kind of fine-tuning our calculations on on how and how you know how um, payments are calculated. But so far, there is something on our GitHub that explains uh, how payments are calculated, and that's probably subject to change in the near future. All right, very good. So, what's the best way for um, interested people to get in contact with with storage? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, one way that they can do it is to go through our storage uh, website and to go through like the community um, icon and click on it and then join our rocket chat. Um, there, There's different channels for all possible things from developers to farmers to tokens to, you know, things. And again, we're like, essentially storage is like multicultural. We have tons of languages um, and people are willing to help out. And so that's one best way to kind of get in contact with storage and to kind of be a part of storage and to kind of discover more of what storage is. Next one is like through our Twitter, we kind of always post things that are going on with us. And then finally through our newsletter and blocks to kind of keep up to date of how we're evolving and, you know, things are, uh, that are coming about in terms of um, in terms of how we are progressing. Okay, well, very good. Nadine, thanks for being on the call. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. The Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's bitcoinsuperconference.com.
You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.